Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to My First Business, the podcast. I'm your host, Naeem Parvez, and I'm a relatively new and sometimes clueless business owner. And I wanted to talk to seasoned entrepreneurs to help guide me and inspire me and help me understand the best way to grow my own business. So I wanted to learn about what mistakes to avoid, how to overcome common challenges, and how to identify opportunities. And that's why I created this show for you, dear listener. So if you're running a new business or an old one, I don't care. I'm not an ageist. I bring on guests from all sorts of industries and they are full of wisdom that you'll chew right up. And each episode is going to be like a conversation with a mentor that you never had. This episode is brought to you by Digitalina. Now, I might be a bit biased as the owner of the business, but I think we've cracked the code when it comes to lead generation for service-based businesses. My co-founder, who also happens to be my wife, and I have spent years building out our own system of advertising that gets businesses new, high-quality leads, day in and day out, all on autopilot. To find out if we can do this for you and what kind of results you can expect, Let's schedule a free discovery call using our website. That's www.digitalina.io. Now, without further ado, let's get on to the episode. Just a quick note, this is part one of a two-part conversation. So after you're done with this round, head over to the next episode to listen to the full interview. My guest today is Ziad Tariq. Ziad is an ambitious entrepreneur with a strong work ethic. He's dabbled in multiple businesses in different fields like real estate, marketing, e-commerce, you name it. As a young boy, he helped his father's optical business after class every day where he learned the ins and the outs of the field. Shortly after graduating, he started working in a Dubai bank to sharpen his finance and customer service skills while simultaneously helping with his father's optical business. He then later co-founded BonAvenue.com in 2011, selling designer clothing brands and led the marketing for the company. 2015, he opened an optical store called Optoline Optics, which still stands today, selling eyewear and performing RTA eye tests. And in 2019, he co-founded Adasat.com. Am I saying that right? Yes. Adasat? So, so you got a, with an Arabic accent? Adasat. Adasat. Yeah. Adasat.com. Adasat.com. And that's A-D-A-S-A-T.com. The Ain. Adasat. Adasat. Yeah. How's that? Yeah. That's good, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Naeem. Thanks for having me. Let's get started. I want to talk to you first about child labor. What? (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. I'm currently joking. Uh, I want to talk about that time that you actually were helping your dad out in school with his business. Um, And maybe you can jog your memory a little bit. Uh, I want to find out a few things from that time. And if you can paint a picture for us of a a few key things, like what... Do you remember being the most fun part as a child helping with your dad's business? So I remember I was uh, I was about 13 and I would go there almost every day during my summer holidays and uh, he'd take me there teach me all about customer service, more about the products that we sell and uh, the fun part. You want to know the fun part? Tell me. My wife's here but okay. <laughs> So the fun part was sometimes girls would come in looking for eyeglasses with their parents. And I was like, shit, I need to do something here because now that I'm here, I learn about work, but I'm wa- I'm kind of wasting my time because I'm not making friends. So I came up with a book. This, this was when I was 13, okay? Came up with a book and I said, uh, all the customers need to register their email IDs. So I made the girls register their email IDs. 
<laughs> I mean, that's the only way I could make friends because my dad was like, no, you got to work. It's your summer vacation. You, we're not going anywhere yeah. to work every day. So I was like, and then I'll go MSN, whatever. Yeah. Them. ICQ. ICQ. <laughs> <laughs> MIRC. Yeah. What? Okay. Yeah. And you were, what year was this? God, no. I was 13. So I'm 35 right now. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we're the same age, so yeah, yeah. around 2001 Probably, ish. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that is that is so smart because like, who needs to get paid when you get paid in email addresses, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> apart, apart from that particular, I think that's very entrepreneurial. Actually, it's like uh, growing your email database, subscriber bro. list. Yeah, database, database yeah. yeah, potential customers, yeah. prospects, right? <laughs> What what do you think around that time, um, like building a database is a good one, but in terms of lessons, mm -hmm. um, maybe weren't apparent around that time, but do you think there are some lessons around that age when you were um, helping your dad out, some of the lessons that have translated into other businesses as well? Yeah, yeah. Anything uh, come to ne mind? Ne negotiation skills. Really? For sure. With, with my dad, like he's, he's very tough in that way. And he makes sure that, whatever price he discusses or push through, he gets that. And that's what he taught me. Like you always need to have the upper hand in negotiations. So that's what I learned actually from him. Do you Great have any, lesson. any tips from your dad on, on good negotiation? Uh, he's very hard headed. That's what he makes me do. <laughs> he's like, you always have to like uh, uh, demand more and be very aggressive. So I think it's an it's the Arab way as well of doing things here. Yeah. And that's what that's what we do now. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in terms of our suppliers and stuff, that's what we do. Right. Yeah. So it, whether it's negotiating with a customer or a supplier. No, no not a customer, not a customer. Yeah. Suppliers. Suppliers yeah, yeah. mostly. Of with course, suppliers. with customers, no. I, I can't be the front uh, person, the front man with the customers. Of course, you have your customer service team yeah. and stuff. And that's what he had. He had a salesperson. But... When it comes to suppliers, when it comes to paying your rent, all that logistics always have the upper hand with negotiations. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if you've read this book. Uh, it's called Never Split the Difference. Have you heard about it? It's no. written by this uh, former FBI hostage negotiator nice. who now teaches those skills wow. into the business business world and personal yeah. life too. Like if you want to negotiate your rent with your landlord, yeah, how to yeah. do it. Yeah. And there's like some really aggressive things in there that um, mm -hmm. like even the tone of voice that you use, mm -hmm. like you use this radio voice when you want to have a serious talk with someone yeah, yeah. versus being very happy, uppity, and that yeah, reduces yeah. your chance of yeah, being yeah. taken seriously and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. I think you'll enjoy like that book as well because it's uh, maybe your dad will enjoy it a lot for too. Sure. What's it called? Never Split the Difference. I'll leave it in the show notes for you guys. Do they have a movie about it? Oh, you know, read books. You can <laughs> watch a video. About, I'll send you a video summary that I actually made of the book. How about okay, that? For sure. <laughs> you can watch a video. Because right? yeah, my dad loves watching movies. So I was like, I'm going to okay. make him watch. Okay, cool. Um, do you remember doing any side hustles outside of your dad's business in your teenage years? And I ask this because like most of the people that have come on, I've noticed a trend that there is always some sort of dabbling going on, whether it came to fruition or not. See, my, my side hustle... So I was really young back then, and uh, the only things you could do as a side hustle. So uh, you should know as well. In Dubai, if you remember, we weren't allowed to have uh, part-time jobs. You remember? Like uh, it was like the gray line that you don't know if you could be a freelancer or not. Companies were scared to 
give you those promotion jobs and stuff. So I used to sell, uh, it's illegal, bro, but I used to sell pirated videos, <gasps> movies in school. I'm, I'm, I'm gasping. I'll tell you why I'm gasping, but tell me about this. Yeah. So I used to sell pirated uh, movies in school. So there used to be a lot of those guys in the, uh, in the streets selling those movies. And I used to buy them, copy them. And I used to sell it to all my classmates. So it was me and another friend of mine who we still do business till today. And people, you know what? Our old friends, they're like, you two have always been doing something fishy and you still do something fishy till now. <laughs> well, that reputation doesn't go away. No. I was gasping and smiling because that literally was the first thing that I did to make my own money yeah. too. But a bit differently. Okay. So we, you and I were around the time where we saw the switch from 56K modems to DSL, yes. which is like dedicated line mm-hmm. and much faster. Mm-hmm. So I was like one of the first people in my class to get yeah. that. Yeah. And we had a DVD burner uh, at yeah. home too. So there is a show. It's very popular. I mean, there's it's in New York. There's three guys, three girls in an apartment. I don't know if you know about it. but That 70s show? Uh, no, there's Ross and Rachel. And I don't know which show it is. Okay. I have no idea, but it's... Yeah, did the illegal thing. Okay. Downloaded seasons after seasons after seasons and then went to class. It was pure arbitrage because my mm-hmm. dad paid for the DSL. Okay. <laughs> he paid for the CDs <laughs> and I went into class and sold, sold those things because same thing, right? Like yeah. there's no opportunities for kids here or yeah. were back there. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if it's changed exactly. now yeah, yeah. to actually go out and because you, you had like labor from all over the world doing the jobs. Like mm-hmm. when I moved to Canada, you, mm-hmm. I could be a McDonald's cashier mm-hmm. at the age of 14 Yes, without it counting like yeah. derogatory or yeah, like yeah anything bad but you don't get the same opportunities mm-hmm. here at mm-hmm. all right so i'm glad you you did uh you did yeah. what you had to do too like i, I mean um, it's good that dubai has changed now and uh, they understand that uh, teenagers would want to have some part-time jobs here especially mm-hmm. during summer summertime like back then even <clears throat> in my dad's store if i would stand behind the counter sometimes my dad would be like hey don't don't stand there too much like maybe after 10 minutes come out and then go back in because it's illegal you know like yeah. it, it was too strict back then it was yeah so I'm, I'm i'm surprised and i'm and i'm happy that dubai has changed in that way yeah, yeah. i'm not even sure why that was a rule to begin with in the first place i don't i don't know, know what the reasons were but i'm glad that it's like yeah changing now but i'm going to switch gears now yeah um so i mentioned in the intro and you can correct me if I'm wrong, was Bon Avenue your first like actual business? Would you count that as like your prop- first proper business? Or were there, what would you call your first proper business? So Bon Avenue was, yes, that was my first business. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you, there's there's this bridge of entrepreneurship that everyone mm-hmm. has to climb and go mm-hmm. through. And we do lose the people, a lot of people on yeah. this bridge, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we both probably know people that always have an idea to do something, but don't get to it. And it doesn't matter what kind of background you come from. You Mm -hmm. can come from a family business background or not. Can I ask you like there's, it's, you've already talked about and probably in other places why you wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. What were the reasons for not doing it? Because when you are starting something, you always intuitively do a pros and cons, or you Mm -hmm. might do it on paper. You can tell me, but what were you thinking was your worst case scenario? Why did you, what was on your cons list? What were okay. your considerations? What was the risk you were not willing to take? What was the anti mm-hmm. uh, don't do this kind of case if you okay. had any at that point? Okay. So um, the time when I started Bon Avenue, I started Bon Avenue with my brother and uh, 
Bond Avenue, um, during that time, I was working the bank as well. Uh, recession hit us real bad. That was about 2008 when recession hit us. And after that, the market, it took a long time for it to like recover. So people were still losing jobs. Companies were shutting down. Uh, people couldn't afford their rent, paying mortgages on their cars. Cars were left out on the streets. I remember that. Yeah, that was a scary time. And uh, honestly, um, I didn't really research much into doing Bon Avenue. I, um, my brother just told me that there's someone who works for Souk.com who could help us set up this company. Souk.com is Amazon right now. So there was a former Souk um, employee and uh, I was like, okay, and uh, let's, let's check it out. And everyone was talking about e-commerce and stuff. And have you ordered online? Do you know how the package comes? Do you know how many times, how many days it takes for a delivery? Like it was so new. E-commerce was so new here. And personally, I wouldn't order online. I was like, no, I, I rather drive there and go check it out. We met with this lady, found out all about e-commerce and stuff. And all she ever did was she's like, you invest in luxury products like designer bags, designer uh, fashion, uh, sunglasses. You get a website, upload it there. Sales are going to come through. And we were like, it's a no brainer. And she was like showing us how much we can make and stuff. I'm telling you, no experience in e-commerce. And my brother is the type of guy, like you tell him you can make this amount of money. All you have to do is that. He won't research, right? He's like, let's do this. So he told me, he's like, leave the bank. Let's go. Let's do this. I'm like, okay, fine. I left the bank, got this done. We invested into a lot of stocks. We got our stocks from France and the States, all luxury products. I'm telling you, that was a big investment. Sat in the office, everything's done. Website, website looked pretty good. Website's done, everything's done. And we're sitting, we're like, no freaking orders. Day after day after day. I'm just playing freaking, uh, you know, Yahoo pool. Back then they had Yahoo pool. I'm like playing that. I'm like, what am I supposed to do, you know? And then I start questioning myself. I'm like, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> I invested into this... Uh, this lady who told me that we could make so much sales, but I have no idea what she's doing. I did some investigations. I went to soup.com, met with a couple of people. I went to Groupon, met with a couple of people. And I told them, I was like, listen, I've got a lot of luxury products with me. And would you like to put it on your website? Or would you like to buy it off me? I was so surprised. Their sales were so good. And they were out of stock most of the time. And they're like, is it in Dubai? I was like, yeah, send it over. The next day, sent a freaking um, <clears throat> container of luxury uh, uh, polos, Ralph Lauren, all that stuff. Yeah. They sent me a check after 15 days. And I was like, what? Okay. I went back. Do you want to order more? Yeah. And they sent me a list of a freaking big order. I'm talking about, I'm talking about like six digits here. And 
that was Souk, then came Groupon, then came the other marker VIP, all these e-commerce companies, they were more comfortable dealing with me because I'm a registered business in Dubai and I have access to those goods. Instead of them uh, sending money abroad, waiting for it to come, I had access. So I was like, okay, so what we changed our model. And I was like, you guys need to understand this cannot be a B2C uh, uh, company anymore. It's going to be a B2B company. So we let her go. And me and my brother were just handling this now. We just kept talking to all these e-commerce companies and we kept supplying them. It was a very successful business. And the whole experience kind of like changed, you know, like the whole, we were considering it to be a B2C and it just became a B2B just because I went there and I started talking to people. How how long did it take you to get to that what the fuck moment? Like it was a few days into no sales? A week, or? A week of a week. no sales. Like you sit yeah. in the office, you're doing nothing, jack shit. Like literally, Jack, you left your nine to five job. Okay, you make your you make your monthly income there. Yeah, but you left everything, and you invested all your money. So of course, right? You must you must be like thinking, what am I doing right now? Yeah, and at that time, what was the reaction of uh, family members outside of your brother? I like, didn't tell anyone. So you didn't tell anyone you're quitting your job? No, no, I, of course, in. of course, yeah. I told everyone I'm quitting my job, but I didn't tell anyone the situation of the company, like. Yeah. We did this and we didn't really do much research because I didn't want to look like a fool, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, when when things start picking up, then I told everyone, hey, we're we're actually a B2B company. So Because we even had the website, bonavenue.com, and we're like, yeah, that's for just show, you know, like if you guys yeah. want to order just one Just to look piece, legit. Yeah, just to look legit. Yeah. So you still had some stock kind of put away for that? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or not even, it's just... No, no, just we had, we had like one, one piece, but yeah. no one was ordering from there. Yeah. We had very, very few orders. So when you were quitting your job or making that decision to quit, was there anyone in your way telling you, Ziad, don't do this. You need to build a solid career and get some skills before you To be honest, uh, no, because the situation in the bank back then. So I was in the mortgages department and... Uh, Dubai Bank was owned by Sheikh Mohammed, and uh, I believe he announced a couple of times that he might stop funding that bank because the bank was doing really bad after recession. And I really wanted to leave. So did all my other colleagues. Bro, we imagine you're in the mortgage department. You're dealing with people who want to buy houses. So you're talking about one to two million dirham type of customers, right? The mortgage department had to close down because of the recession and they were like, let's go into payroll. So I was like, what do we do in payroll? Let's go to labor camps and just make the laborers sign documents so they can get their salaries in. So make those accounts. So from mortgages, from wearing a nice suit, driving a nice car, I had to drive there to labor camps with my suit and everything. And I was like, just making them sign. And I had to talk to them, like, sign. Some people didn't know how to sign. I'm like, fingerprint, fingerprint, fingerprint you know? Yeah. It's like you're working in immigration, man, or a labor department. Yeah. So I was doing that. All my other colleagues from the mortgage department were doing that, and they hated their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, w I saw that, and I was like, this is not for me. I, I didn't go to university. I didn't go to schooling to do this. So I really wanted to get out. Yeah. And that was the option. There, w there was nothing else for me. I was like, yeah. let me just do this. But coincidentally, that worked really well. 
Let's let's talk about that in contrast with some of the other businesses that you start, right? So the genesis point, if I if I were to simply dumb it down, I, I think of it like, are you running towards something or are you running away from something? Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the first one was running away, running away more than running towards something. Like the yeah, opportunity yeah. is like, it's good. Someone said it's good. Yeah. Like, yeah, it'll work. Yeah. But it's more like, I'm not going to be stuck here doing yeah. this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Did that change when you started uh, dabbling in other businesses? Where mm-hmm. you are, do you still find yourself running away from current uh, situations no. versus going towards opportunities? That was, I think, that was the only moment in my life where I really wanted to run away. Well, there was another, but not with business, with education. Mm-hmm. When I was in a before going to AUD, I was in another university. Uh, I forgot what it was called, American College of the Bay, I guess. That's when I felt like uh, I walked into the classroom and I felt like I was the only smartest kid in the class. And I'm like, what am I doing here? People, <laughs> Big people, fish, little pond. Yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm. why am I so smart? But I'm, I know I'm not that smart, but why am I so smart? Why is everyone so dumb here? So I was like, I need to get out. I told my mom, please get me out. Yeah. I want to go to AUD. So yeah, that's those two situations of my life where I really wanted to get away. And and you're glad that you made the move yeah, both times, yeah, right? I'm glad. My um, when I finished twelfth grade, um, my dad wanted me to do thirteenth grade. So in Choyfath, we had like thirteenth grade as well to finish your A levels. And I'd done my AS levels at that point. And he was kind of planning, he's like, yeah, you know, you do your thirteenth, and then you either I ship you back to Pakistan yeah. to do your university, yeah, or you do it here. And I didn't want to be here. Like, really, I really like similar to you. I just yeah. wanted to run away. <laughs> so I made. Um, made my first ever pitch deck presentation at the age of 17. Okay. It was titled why I should go to Canada. <laughs> it had pie charts in there. Like mm-hmm. what percentage of my classmates have applying to Canada versus okay. UK versus okay. US. Yeah. And I made like, uh, it was probably 15 to 20 minutes yeah. presentation, yeah, yeah. but deep down inside, it was the same feeling as like, I don't want to be here. Cause yeah, I don't yeah. think this is where I would be happy as well. And then, yeah, I find that both these situations, the running away, running towards, mm-hmm. um, and you mentioned like now that you choose businesses. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to talk about pivots, but like in your case, sometimes pivots means like getting into a new venture. Mm-hmm. We were talking off mm-hmm. camera mm-hmm. about that too. So what do you think, um, what, what are you running towards now when you, when you find new business opportunities? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you take interest in them? How do you do your research? How mm-hmm. do you... Um, te- how do you make the case for yourself? Like, you know what, this is going to be my next business. thing. Yeah. yeah. So basically, uh, now it, it's much different than before. I, I analyze a lot. I do a lot of research before go- going into the business. I even look at all the risk factors and I look into the finance. So even um, I have to check if I could actually find the right employees for that type of business. Because I'm not just going to go with someone else and then train them and try to make the business work. So I look at all these factors before going into the business. A lot of people would probably give you numbers and say, look at these numbers. You can run this business. Just look at these numbers. To me, um, I'm not a numbers guy because numbers can go up and can go down. If you don't have the components right, if you don't have all the factors that run the business, the pillars that run the business you won't be able to run that business properly. So that's what I look into now. I analyze a lot. So even with the the new business that I was talking to you about, that's what I did. I mean, 
I want to dig into that a little bit because I think it's really interesting to, for me to kind of formulate my thoughts around it too because I intuitively understand what you're trying to say like so there are some intangible costs of running a business yeah uh, which sometimes can be labeled as headache or mm-hmm. how do you how do you find what do you know about that uh, or what is your well how would you explain that like when you look at a spreadsheet like for example I'll give you an example while you um think of this as well when we do the agency right there's yep. a couple of agency owners that are like mm-hmm. 90% profit margin this is the best business ever cuz this is what you put in you have a laptop and you go in there's mm-hmm. a software it's like $200 that's it all you need but you don't put in um a number behind the sleepless nights yeah um the uh campaigns breaking or iOS 14 changing the mm-hmm. game for you. you don't put a cost mm-hmm. to all of those yeah um but have you now intuitively picked up by running all these businesses like what the potential roadblocks might be that can't be put into numbers uh no not really i mean like uh, of course there are those sleepless nights you have a lot of stress but then i wouldn't i i wouldn't know exactly mm-hmm. till i actually get into that business that's what i would say like you'd have to be in the day to day of the business to actually know what those roadblocks are going to be cuz presentations we all know presentations are always meant to look good you don't know until you get into that actual business doing the work doing the work yeah and the things yeah i mean it's unavoidable but maybe it's better off just to leave time and money mm-hmm. to manage shit because there's always going to be shit there's always going to be in shit, every yeah, business right every there, business. there's there's not rosy unicorn every stuff business. going on right yeah, yeah. like that's what we hear most from the hustle culture it's yeah, like yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah do your own business it's all great and it's fun every, but like every business except for i would i would say i think probably properties if you if you do real estate and uh, you invest when uh, the projects under construction and you just wait so that's so that's the waiting game right so you're investing and you're not doing anything and then you set it off with uh, good margins later well it's stress free unless you have that amount of cash with you but when it comes to actual business yeah anything can happen yeah i mean we we talked about just before camera like even having an e-commerce store means you can be a bit more flexible with your time yeah but that doesn't change the fact that the no. machine is always running mm-hmm. and there are potential breakages that happen along the way mm-hmm. so do you when you when you do this study and this research and this this kind of planning which you've started to do more now what are the steps that look like cuz i i'm trying to learn to like i've started my first venture but okay. i don't want this to be my only right. one right like i okay. want it to have i want to have multiple streams of income so i want to start something else as okay. well okay. like even this podcast i want at some point monetize it mm-hmm. so i want to understand like how do you do your research like do you talk to people do you do it online yeah. yeah so so basically first i i look into the competition and i check if uh, there are people doing the same type of business I try, to, I try to find people inside that business, try to check uh, how is their how how many orders are they getting in a day, like their numbers. And I try to find out what what are the major people they employ in the company. So I know what's the main main employees. There could be companies that say we employ like 100 people, but you know there could be five main people, you know. Rest of them are just uh doing the job that they're being told to they don't have like special skills i would say and uh, then i even try to look into the suppliers i first talked to the suppliers so what i did was before even opening up my license 
I'm talking about the new business, adasad.com. Before even opening my license, I went and I, I had meetings with every single supplier out there. When it came to the eyewear brand, every single supplier, yeah, contact lenses, medical lenses, sunglasses, eyeglasses, came to the accessories of the glasses. I spoke to every single supplier, checked their, um, what you call the, the payments, how would it work? Would they give me credit and all of that? Um, how would they allow me to advertise those products online? By the way, some some brands don't allow you to do that, right? So I had to make all of that. I had to do all that study, and then and then eventually came up with the plan that w- uh, this would be the final plan to start this business. So you hadn't made a decision until you had yeah, all those conversations. All those conversations. Yeah, that's super. That's super different than the first time. <laughs> yeah, very different. Very different. I learned from the first time, right? Yeah. And this time, I wanted to make e-commerce right. Like I wanted to actually own an e-commerce company, and uh, this took me a while. This took me about six to six to eight months. You know, trying to even come up with the finance and stuff. Yeah. I think that's really smart. I mean, I've there's there's an MBA model of mm-hmm. of doing research analysis, which always ends up in some sort of like there's like eight boxes you got to fill mm-hmm. out with these threats, opportunities, mm-hmm. SWOT analysis. But you're actually having conversations with yeah. people like yeah. you're, and these are conversations that you can hold someone accountable to, mm-hmm. right? So when you go to do a contract with them later mm-hmm. on. You can mention like, listen, I yeah, started yeah. this company because we had this conversation. Are you yeah. going back to your word, or yeah. does that does that help you with your negotiation post when you start as well, or uh, well, like it, having those initial conversations with them? It does. It does help. Yeah, it does help with uh, negotiations and so. Well, but you have to understand if you're a new company, I don't think you have an upper hand with any negotiations right now. Only when they see progress, that's when they could actually listen to you. We're, we're the underdogs, so like we're trying to talk to them, telling them I'm coming up with this new company, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And most of the time suppliers think they're just wasting their time. But for me, it's knowledge. Mm-hmm. Whatever I can get from their mouths, it's knowledge. Yeah, they probably have like 10 people knocking their door. Yeah, exactly. Every day yeah, trying yeah. to do something similar. But yeah, giving them hopes like, hey, I'm, I'm going to sell a lot of stuff. I need this, I need that. Yeah. Yeah. But. That's that's what I learned from them. It's it's almost like doing a personal MBA project, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. At the end of the day, you have a research report for yourself. Like, yeah. you know what? Um, have you been to a point where you've done your research on a potential project or a business, mm-hmm. and then not gone ahead with it, or do you always find yourself like? No, there are there were there were a couple. Yeah, there were a couple. And yeah, what stopped yeah, you from uh, going ahead from those? The the idea basically like. Um, I wanted I wanted always to be something I wanted to make something unique have a unique product or a unique experience. So along the way there were a couple of ideas that I had with a bunch of my friends and uh I just didn't I wasn't really how do you say impressed with it like going forward I'll be like okay this sounds good this sounds good. You know when always you have this idea you you write it down and you're like yeah man no one does this. And then give it a week you do your research you're like fuck <laughs> it's it's still it's available here you know like other people have done this so that's where i scrapped up all my ideas i always wanted to do something unique so yeah. that's why with adesat it even took me a month or two to come up with the unique uh, selling point that we have we we basically 
uh, we've got this uh, service. It's called the Home Try On service. I was and telling my mom about it this morning, but yeah. tell us, tell us a bit so more about I, this. I, I kept thinking. I was like, because because we own the optical stores, right? And I was like, um, people want to order online, but I'm even skeptical to order online in terms of sunglasses. It won't. It may not fit me. And why pay logistics? You go there, they try it on, they say it doesn't fit me. Bring it back, send them an, another pair. So I came up with the refund idea: refund the payment, refund the, the payment. Refund, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And uh, Zara and uh, all those other companies were doing that, like refund payments and stuff. I didn't find it convenient, so I was thinking: what if we send four to ten pairs and let them try? Then I thought about it. I was like, let them pay for four to ten pairs, and then we'll refund them. Then I kept thinking again, and I was like, no, why would I pay four to ten pairs? You know that that's that's a lot on my card. So I was like, let them just pay twenty bucks for a delivery fee, and we'll have one of our drivers be there while they're trying. So the driver is going to stand outside, whatever. We created the box in such a way that it came with a mirror, so. You could try them in your office, in your house, or even at the mall, wherever you are. It comes with a mirror, so you could actually see how it looks like, and it really, uh, really worked. People really liked that service, so it was the experience, you know. That it, it's if they order through any other website, it's a hassle for them if it if it doesn't fit them. But with Adasat, now they have the choice; they can make choices. They could. But get an order a smaller frame or a bigger frame, and it's more convenient yeah. that way. No, it makes sense for me because I've got a tiny face, mm-hmm. and like the very few sunglasses that actually suit me. Yeah. So that that works super well for me. Yeah. But what I like about this exercise that you're doing is like you are the primary target customer of yeah. your own business first, yeah. and all these thoughts that you come up with for the mm-hmm. USP service mm-hmm. delivery, the experience. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing you say like, would I want that? Yeah, and that I think is it's a good edge to have. Yeah, um, and it's probably not true for like a lot of businesses to have that mm-hmm. kind of experience. Like mm-hmm. as an as an agency that does B two C advertising, like I don't need my own service ever. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, I don't have products that I'm selling or yeah. services that I'm selling to the mass market. But I really like that. Uh, you know, would I mm-hmm. like this? Mm-hmm. Would I want? Would yeah. I pay like? Yeah, you're right. Why would I pay four to six pairs exactly. up front yeah. only to pick one? Yeah. Um, kind of like a box service. But um, I want to talk about shutting businesses down too. Are you? Have you shut down any businesses that you've running, yeah. or they're yeah, all yeah. kind of running? Yeah, I, I shut down a business uh, that I opened in Russell Khema. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, I opened an optical store uh, there in a mall. Um, it's like a kiosk. We had it for a year. I, I can't remember. Someone did tell me that you should open more branches outside Dubai, and I was like, sure. And I used to I used to drive towards Russell Khema, and I was thinking the, with the population there and stuff, the rent was very cheap. So I was like, it could be an opportunity. But you know, um, that was that was a mistake because even though the rent is cheap and the population's not there yet it wouldn't make sense to open the business. Don't always look at the costs. That's what I realized. One year and we shut it down. Yeah, I think we're, we're we're getting to your mindset a little bit because 
the way you assess opportunities seems and correct me if I'm wrong you mm-hmm. you said this earlier where it has to be something unique the customer yeah. experience has to stand out yeah, yeah. yes you have a kiosk but is yeah. it like blowing anyone's mind yeah. and and that's that doesn't motivate you that was the that. same that was the same time when i had bon avenue like we're yeah. like okay let's let's open one there let's try it out but yeah. you know that's why that's why all these failures kind of made me uh, made me do a lot of work before opening adasad cuz adasad i wanted it to be like not sure if my final project but the biggest project ever mm-hmm. yeah and keeping on that on that shutting it down thing what are the kind of was it an overnight decision that you're like you know what this doesn't fit or um, what were the conversations you were having inside your own head and with other people that you know what mm-hmm. this isn't right for me and because obviously nobody wants to look like a quitter be a mm-hmm. quitter or people always try to talk you off the ledge too right uh, especially if you're surrounded by other business people they're like mm-hmm. but as you said the rent is cheap how did you kind of convince yourself how did you convince it, it, others it, it took us a, a month to decide uh, our accountant told us that it wasn't doing really well and stuff and uh, the uh, we couldn't manage it as well because of the logistics like it was a far drive and um, so that's when we decided like um it wouldn't make sense to keep it going for the second year as well where it's not easy to manage and we had a manager back then but uh, long story short he just kind of picked up his bag got a couple of loans from the bank and ran away so <laughs> if i had a penny for every time i heard a story like that so yeah so that's yeah. that's also another issue for us and it it all happened uh, during the renewal of that uh, of that store so the manager ran away and then this was happening and we're like we we can't manage it so might as well just close it and we'll focus on what we're doing right now so all the signs of the universe were yeah, pointing to shut it down exactly. shut it down now is the time yeah is that the only business that you've shut down uh yeah that's the only yeah. business okay good well i'm i'm hoping that all the culmination of everything that's going into your current venture right now <laughs> i'm going to try saying it again adasat 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 yeah okay okay i'm going to get it right by the end of this interview <laughs> um okay we well, want to talk to you about something that um I obviously need help with and mm-hmm. potentially more business owners need help with as well. Um and it's probably a mindset thing too um and probably a physical thing too but burnout. Mm-hmm. Right? When you are maybe in the early stages or when you're at inflection points in different businesses, I'm not talking about being burnt out by the business. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about situations in a business owner's life mm-hmm. where things outside the business are also a bit mm-hmm. um there's a bit of calamity going on or mm-hmm. things are volatile outside of business life like as an employee yeah. i remember i could shut it off right like after 5 pm i don't owe my employer my time oh yeah that's my mental health that's yeah, my thing yeah. or you know if i things are not going well i ask for a vacation mm. and then somebody yeah. else does my job and then i come back to it but as a business owners when things are going a little funny in your life in general mm-hmm. um you can't really step away because it's just that time how do you find yourself if you've been in that situation manage your mental physical mm-hmm. burnout kind of phase protecting yourself from the burnout or dealing with it in a way that that you've learned that you're doing it better now yeah. if that makes sense yeah to be honest um i do feel that sometimes but as a business owner i i i can't shut everything off 
like I can't even put my phone um, on uh, silent for, I mean, expect for, except for this time right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm on my phone every time, like even two o'clock in the morning. So I can't really do that because at the moment I'm, I'm handling about five, around five companies and the employees they need me plus um, even customers. I do have some customers that still prefer to talk to me and they could even message me two in the morning. So I can't really do that as much as I wanted to, even when I'm on vacations, wherever we are, I'm always on my phone. So that's something, I don't know. I, I, I know that some some businessmen do want to take the time off and they say, yes, we I'm with my family now. I, can, I, I can't reply to calls. But what I do is I say, just what's up me? I'm always replying. Oh yeah, I don't leave anyone hanging, to be honest. It just does. It's not your personality to leave. It's not, it's not my personality. Yeah, it's not my personality. It, yeah. And it kind of, you know, it kind of gives me that feeling. Like if I, I see a message and I'm uh, in a family gathering and all, and I have that itch, like, no, I have to reply. Give it half an hour. I will reply. And definitely about work, but I have to like resolve that. Because what I faced was anything could happen in the business. Any freaking thing. Like I told you, my manager who took, I don't know, God knows how much he took from the banks and he ran away, okay? That was something all of a sudden. And then with businesses, you could have anyone, especially for us in the um, in the health industry, you could have anyone um, complain about lenses, like severe complaint. You, you never know. Yeah. Something happened to their eyes. So I'm always there, you know? Yeah, I, even though the manager should be handling this, but... He'll get this and he'll call me about it. So yeah, I'm always there to support them. So I wanted to ask you, like, what do you do then? I wanted to ask you later, but we can get into it now. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned you were a boxer before too. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of self-care, to keep you ready for this kind of role, like that mm -hmm. you're in, five mm -hmm. companies, 2 a.m., mm -hmm. WhatsApp messages going, mm -hmm. plus family, plus mm -hmm. 100 other things going mm -hmm. on. How do you stay ready for these kind of days and weeks and months and years? So, so back then, um, when I was professionally fighting, my, uh, my schedule would be six o'clock morning runs and then straight to work and then train for another three hours and then off to, off to home. But in between, uh, back then I, I didn't really own that many companies and I wasn't that busy. I had Bon Avenue and I had the optical store and I was doing my uh, real estate with uh, one of my business partners, but it wasn't so demanding as it is right now. So as you can see, I'm kind of out of shape right now. <laughs> no judgment. <laughs> the camera adds pounds. <laughs> That's very cool, man. Um, one of the parts of like the thing that we're talking about right now, when you've taken on too much, um, what I'm trying to get better at also is saying no to certain things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is kind of a tough lesson that I've learned in business that even when taking on new clients, for example, yeah. any of your B2B businesses, sometimes you just know that this is not going to be a, a fruitful relationship. Like you say, you've done the numbers, but yes. it looks profitable, but yes. this is going to be a toxic addition to my life. Mm -hmm. Have you always been good at saying no to these kind of what seem to be opportunities no. or you just take everything on? I'll tell you why I take everything on. Because I feel like uh, 
okay, this could be toxic in the beginning, right? But I feel like later, either or would realize that this could be a good relationship. I always give it time. I never say no. And even if the other uh, the other party or the other supplier or the other business mm-hmm. thinks that they could like be scamming me or fooling me with numbers and stuff, I act normal. I just put a poker face and I accept to everything. And I just give it time to make them realize. I, I build the relationship that way. So that's how it is for me. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't want to say no to anyone, to be honest. That's really interesting. Cause like, obviously with everything, it's, uh, you hear both sides of the coin, right? So, mm. uh, some of the people that I've been looking up to have been telling me, uh, to say no more often. Mm-hmm. And I've tried it and it's worked for me too. Mm-hmm. Or I think it works for me. Like this, mm-hmm. this is the part where I think it kind of bites me in the ass. Yeah. If I take what you're saying, you <laughs> say yes, but you say yes with an ultimate goal. Of mm-hmm. turning yeah. shit around yeah, yeah. between the relationships. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you an example. Sometimes we get approached uh, by companies mm-hmm. that want to use our services. Yeah. And they just give us all the wrong feels from the beginning. Pushy, demanding, mm-hmm. timelines, yeah, yeah. probably will pay us late, etc., etc., etc. And then all this, the spidey sense starts tingling. It's like, no, yeah, yeah. we've been there before. Yeah. We're going to be burnt out by this client and it's yeah. not going to be that worth it. So we do yeah, that yeah. cost benefit analysis, but the yeah. cost being, uh, we assign a PETA factor, okay. pain in the ass factor okay, for every okay. client that we take on. And okay. if it's over like seven, yeah. um, then we're like, we, we don't pursue the deal anymore okay. Okay. or we don't act disinterested, but we we haven't learned to do it the way that you're talking about it. Like do it respectfully. So, yeah. Do it respectfully. But that's your example is really good. Like if, if you see that they're going to pay you really late, that's, that's a major factor to be honest. And uh, I would, I would probably say no to that. But what I'm saying is that, for example, if I have a supplier come in today and he offers his products and he says, we're rated as number three in the world and blah, blah, blah. And, we uh, we have a good customer service and everything fine that that that's a good sign i go with that company tomorrow i find that he's not really responsive customer service is shit and uh, we're still selling some of his products i'm not going to go and tell him no till i prove to him like you see these numbers, come back here. You see these numbers. Now I demand like your respect. Now I demand your time. Mm-hmm. So that's how I kind of do it. But yeah. but when it comes to uh, like what you just said, yeah, I would probably say no because I, I value those things as well. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we got into business yeah. to have the lifestyle that we want. And the lifestyle yeah, includes yeah. who you spend your time with, yeah, yeah, yeah. who you're working with, because yeah, that's yeah. 8, 10, 12 as you know, 16 hours a day working those people. And just to be clear, we're not, let's say we're not shy of working hard. As you said, like when you go into businesses, you want to do something unique. Mm -hmm. You want to do something that's not out there, unique Mm -hmm. customer experience. The other end of that is if you want to make money in business, I was thinking of this on the drive here, Mm -hmm. is do something unique or do something that someone doesn't want to do, which is do the hard work. Not do all the hard work, but do something that's hard that nobody Mm -hmm. else is willing to do. Yeah. So when a opportunity from a client comes out, okay, this mm-hmm. is going to be hard work. It mm-hmm. turns us on. Like it's yeah, hard yeah, work. Yeah. Like yeah, it's yeah. going to be worth it. Yeah. 
but if it comes with the extra baggage of the other things mm-hmm. that we mentioned, um, we haven't found it's a way not worth to like. It then. Yeah. But maybe there's an in between, and you, you, with your experience, like you know, you say that you give it enough time to kind of resolve itself as well, mm-hmm. and um, turn the relationship around. Yeah. Or kind of maybe demand the respect like you do mm-hmm. with your suppliers. Maybe yeah, yeah. there is a way yeah. to do that with the with the clients as well. Like yeah, you know, yeah. like you need me as much as I need you. Exactly. Because it is true sometimes, not yeah. all the times, but yeah. sometimes it is true. Uh, I just don't like playing games yet. Mm-hmm. You know, like because those are um, it doesn't come naturally. Yeah. Uh, so I have to develop like a way, like the way you're talking about it mm-hmm. is actually developing something naturally inside my head. Like okay, there's a end outcome yeah, in there. Yeah. I'm going to switch gears uh, from saying uh, from saying no to who do you call most at 2 a.m. for business advice? So there's obviously your you have partners in the business, mm-hmm. but outside your partners, where do you get your business lessons from, or who do you have to talk through your ideas, mm-hmm. your anxieties, mm-hmm. your decisions? Is mm-hmm. there someone in your life that plays that role? Mm, probably my wife. <laughs> Yeah, 2 a.m., man, it's crazy. Sometimes I come up with ideas, like, really late <laughs> at night, and we're just about to sleep, and I'm like, hey, you want to listen to this? <laughs> and I just keep explaining to her. And what's good is she kind of, she supports me in everything, and if it comes up with a good idea at night, then she starts brainstorming as well. So that's good. We're like a team, right? So, yeah, she's probably the person that I speak to late at night but um i've got two business partners as well um different businesses uh payam who's my actually both of them are my childhood friends so payam's my business partner in my current business now with adasat and mayon's my other business partner with the real estate and uh, yeah we we talk really late at night because anything comes through especially uh with the real estate, like different inquiries and clients sometimes backing up, uh, backing out or interested and they want to meet early in the morning. So we do talk about all these things. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to ask uh, Julia if she can hear me. What's the craziest idea he's come up with at night? <laughs> There's a lot of crazy ideas. <laughs> what's, what's one he would, he would talk about? What, what do you remember? Actually, one recent one was is actually the gym that he's opening up. It's a crazy idea, but we're actually going through with it. Because one, it's crazy because it's in Marina. It's so far from us. And two, it's a gym. Like, we've never, I mean, we always work out, but we've never really thought that, hey, let's open up a gym, you know? Was this, was this a 2 a.m. idea? Yeah. I think so. Could be. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, no, no. The, the idea was there. Uh, the idea was there during the daytime. But I didn't get to see her. So I remember I spoke to her at night like, hey, I think we'll be gym owners soon. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, hey, you want to have a child? No, I want a business. (laughs) Another one right now. Well, that's crazy. We, um, so my wife and I, we run our business together too. And Mm -hmm. we're, uh, we, I kind of instituted this no talk about business rule after 9 p.m. Okay. Because my mind is also running at like high pace, but then. Mm -hmm. 
I get insomniac and I don't, I love my sleep. Like I'm not compromising my sleep. I Mm -hmm. sleep eight to nine hours a Mm -hmm. day. I don't care how busy shit gets. I'm Mm going to get that sleep. And if we start talking business at nine or after nine, then just the mind is rolling all day Yeah, and have a notepad next to me. Then we'll grab a laptop (laughs) and we start working on it. But because we're, we're talking about business pretty much all day from the time we wake up. True. Like what meetings do you have today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what time do you need the car? Yeah. Uh, who's going where? Yeah. Where are you going to be today? Uh, what do you want to do about that invoice? Yeah, yada, yeah. yada, yada. And uh, yeah, we find uh, we find it pretty, just, she loves it though. Mm-hmm. She's more like you. And like, okay. she's like, what if we? <laughs> and it starts with like, you know, I was thinking. So as soon as I hear that, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm ready. Every time she says, you know, I was thinking. I'm like, oh God, here we go, here we go again. And I'm uh, I'm basically I've taken the role of her idea killer. Okay. In a in a fun way. Okay. Like challenging the yeah. idea because she's the ideas girl. I'm the execution guy. Yeah. I don't get many original ideas. I don't know why, mm-hmm. uh, but she does. But she doesn't like the execution. I love the execution. So that's we make, the tough part. We make execution? that execution shit. But like, this is how we talk to um, mm-hmm. amongst ourselves. We're like, you're the zero to one girl. Yeah. I'm the one to end. Mm-hmm. So the same thing with our current business, she started it up. Like yeah. it was her freelance. Mm-hmm. So she took it from zero to one concept to idea, mm-hmm. running, payments coming in, mm-hmm. all good. And then it's like, how do you make this a proper well-oiled machine? That's where I come in because yeah. that's boring. And I love the boring stuff. <laughs> um, I want to talk about something uh, differently now. We we're mentioning your your business partners and the importance of people before as well. In terms of doing your research, you look at the key employees. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about employees in a different way than we've yeah. talked about just before is retention. Let's say you are working with someone that you know is a gem. Mm-hmm. And we all know in our deep down in our hearts who our gems are. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need a analysis or a scale of numbers to tell us. We just know that this person, yeah. I want to keep them with me yeah. for as long as I can. Yes, yes. What have you learned about retaining these kinds of people on how do you go about so we, i don't have to bring up their names right because they might demand you. the higher salary so <laughs> like, <laughs> you're killing me right now <laughs> yeah sure don't bring up the name change everything is fictional for, for this podcast right now. all right thanks for tuning in hope you enjoyed that conversation please do share this episode with someone you think will enjoy it as much as you did To find out who else will be coming on or to recommend someone I should talk to, please follow my Instagram. It's at myfirstbusinesspodcast or go to the website myfirstbusinesspodcast.com. And that's all, folks.